Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Hello, hello, and welcome. It is the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me, as always, going down under. How you guys doing? Oh, didn't tell me you were going down under, bro. Would have uh, gotten ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> Would have done some grooming. <laughs> Wash up a little bit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, good day, mates. Uh, excited to uh, spend some time down under. Down under? Down under. <laughs> Just spreading a little Vegemite on my toast. Oh, oh yeah. Vegemites. <laughs> Vegemite sandwich? Mmm. Yep. Yeah, I I doubt any uh, anybody really eats those. So, yeah, uh, Album Nerds Podcast. We talk about albums. Get it? Good. Oh, It's not too complicated, really. <laughs> No, it isn't. So today we'll be talking about three albums. We'll be answering a question. We'll spin the wheel of musical destiny to point us in our next direction of the kinds of albums we'll explore. But this week, it's Australia time. The land down under. That's what I'm talking about! Well, the music of Australia dates back many thousands of years with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, uh, which brought us the famous instrument, the didgeridoo. <laughs> That's good. Nice. But since then, uh, the nation has had a, a rich history of rock and pop music, uh, and many acts have found commercial success in the United States, uh, like ACDC, Olivia Newton-John, Sia, Keith Urban, Rick Springfield, Tame Impala, Men at Work, Kylie Minogue, Midnight Oil, Little River Band, Crowded House, The Vines, and Air Supply. And there's uh, many more than that. Uh, today, each of us will present an album from an Australian artist. Okay, so Australia. You know, when you think about that, do you necessarily think bands? And if so, like, who do you think about? That's that's where I started. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, in terms of like my U.S. perspective on music, I think they're definitely in that mix of, of bands that are fairly popular or talked about on like in the regular pop charts, I guess, or the rock charts or the musical charts of any kind. For me... <laughs> <laughs> That's not a chart. This is a chart. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's mostly about the King Gizzard, Lizard Wizard. Last five, ten years here, they've put out some great music. I somehow managed not to pick them this time around. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. They have so many great records to pick from. But there was a lot of other cool stuff that we discovered uh, digging through the uh, Australian crates here. Yeah, uh, I guess the the first one I think of is is Midnight Oil. You know, they had uh, a couple of big hits when I was uh, growing up. Um, so I checked out that album, and it was pretty good. And you know, I listened to Men at Work, Crowded House. I thought about the Bee Gees, but they're uh, they're actually not Australian. They they came from Great Britain, but emigrated there. So I'm not sure if they would count. Crowded House was actually kind of confusing as well because the the main guy there. Uh, Neil Finn is actually from New Zealand. Um, he was actually, he and his brother were actually in that band Split Ends, who are also from New Zealand. But anyway, there's uh, there's a lot of artists to, to choose from. Uh, but it's weird, you know, we never had an Australian invasion. They're too far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I, I Men at Work came to mind at first, Land Down Under, the song in particular, where Vegemite Sandwich became something that the world became familiar with. 
Uh, but I, I explored a bunch of stuff. Eskimo Joe, uh, UIM, uh, Hi-Fi Way album I first heard about because we did a show where we did an, the Jet album. And they're a band from Australia, and they mentioned that that was an influence. Paul Kelly, I found out about from the Create Expectations podcast. Kind of a Bob Dylan-esque figure in Australian music, so that that was interesting. Went back to William Crichton, Water and Dust on, from episode 144 of this year. Still a great album. Silver Chair, of course. Really thought about them. Frog Stomp being so influenced by Nirvana and stuff that I didn't think it represented something unique although they young modern we did on episode 80 they do have some silver chair did some very unique stuff later in their career finally i'll mention guramol who i'd not heard of before aboriginal australian musician multi-instrumentalist played drums keyboards guitar didgeridoo passed away i believe in 2017 he sings stories of his land in various languages uh, he was a member of yathu yindi it's saltwater band beautiful voice folky but also soulful so i highly recommend checking him out as well it was a lot of fun digging in and uh really exploring down under you choo choo choose me all right so i went with the choice the obvious choice one of the biggest bands to ever come out of it out of australia in excess and uh their album kick from October of 1987. Why don't we start off with the opening track, Guns in the Sky. So, in excess, it's the letters I, N, X, and S to represent the words in excess. Because it's excessively catchy. <laughs> the three words I used to describe this album, pop, rock, Precision. Now, this album, as I said, came out in October of 1987. They have been together since 1977. They had had some success in Australia first, continued to try to cross over to America, had the album Listen Like Thieves from 1985, I believe, which did have the hit What You Need, which really was the jump off point for this record. Uh, so I won't dig in too much. Guns in the Sky was a cool song. It's about Star Wars, you know, when we started putting uh, satellites in the sky to shoot down missiles and it never happened in the Reagan era, that was anti-guns in the sky. NXS, kick, thoughts? Uh, yeah, well, I got a, a big kick out of it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Down going for uh, the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> sometimes you kick, sometimes you get yeah. kicked. Am I right, gentlemen? Uh, so, the, the three words I, I chose to describe the album were sexy, rhythm, rock. So, it, it's, I mean, it's rock with elements of, of dance pop uh, in it and a little bit of funk. Michael Hutchins is the kind of the the sex appeal of of the band like i kind of see him as almost like a, a a jim morrison type character almost like you know seducing you as he's uh singing to you yeah it's um i mean it was such a huge album at the time i mean you had at least like four you know gigantic hits uh i kind of see in excess as 
kind of taking the the place of of Duran Duran is kind of like a, a huge act that was also kind of funky and, and sexy. And, you know, D- Duran Duran star was kind of like faded at that point. So, I mean, really the, the two big kind of mainstream rock bands at the time were NXS and U2. You know, they really dominated that era. But yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's a it's an interesting album. It was fun to go back to because I hadn't, you know, spent much time with it in, in recent years. Yeah. Good pick. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, definitely a good record. Uh, so my three words are simple yet effective. There's not a lot of like technical wizardry going on here. There's some pretty straight ahead pop rock songs, but there's an undeniable catchiness to them. And I think, you know, kind of digging into the lyrics a little bit more this time around, I, I did get some deeper meanings for the majority of the songs here. A little bit of deeper thought seems to have gone into these. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much as plays as like almost like a greatest hits. There's so many well-known singles on here. It flies by pretty quickly. So yeah, it's a it's an enjoyable listen. Yeah, it was a total length of 39 minutes, 50 seconds. There is a lot squeezed in here. Uh, New Sensation, Devil Inside, Need You Tonight, and of course, Mystify, Never Tear Us Apart. I mean, you're right. This album was certainly uh, something special. Now, Previously, all the songs were written by the band. They'd all contribute. What You Need from Listen Like Thieves was primarily written by uh, Michael Hutchins and Andrew Ferris of the Ferris Brothers. So there's Andrew, John, and Tim Ferris, and then Michael Hutchins and Gary Gary Beers. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Gary? Gary Gary. Gary with two R's and then Gary with one R. Okay. I like it. It could be Gary Gary Beers Beers. That would be even better. (laughs) But those those two came up with with what you need and they wanted to they're like hey let's let's let these guys take the take the ball and run so one of the biggest collaborations between them was the song never tear us apart why don't we listen to a bit of that and we could fly because we all have wings but some of us don't know why yeah i mean come on so like that song is one of those Definitely for me, I don't know about Don and Andy, but one of those like school dance type songs where you're screwing up the courage to ask a girl to dance or, or whatever. And uh, I think everyone has a, a song like that in their life, you know? <laughs> no, no I, that would be me standing against the wall watching everybody. Do- <laughs> you were standing. <laughs> they were there <laughs> ignoring you. <laughs> I was standing in my tears. Uh, I say it's a pretty, a pretty epic song, man. I think they do a really great job delivering sort of the grandiosity of the feeling that he's conveying there on, on the track. Yeah, his voice is uh, fantastic on that. Um, I think I read that that was a song that started out as a piano ballad. You know, kind of took on a different shape, and they added the the strings uh, afterwards. I also like the guitar that they they bring in there without necessity, but it really adds another layer to it. The, the music is simple. I mean, they use a lot of drum machines and then some actual drum, but it's fairly consistent, steady beats. The guitar riffs are they're they're kind of signature. But they're pretty simple with all of it combined and then the occasional saxophone, which you had to have in 1987. I mean, come on. All right. So, yeah, it's funky. It's stonesy. It's dancey. Why don't we listen to one of the uh, great examples of songs where a guy just has great control of his breathiness, you know, like we're going to do I Need You Tonight, but the way that he everything fades out and back in. Bono's good at that, too. But uh, Michael Hutchins was a master. 
and give me a moment that might be one of the best simple guitar mm-hmm. little riffy things ever it's so it's so recognizable yeah i mean it reminds me of the conversation we had about the violent femmes and uh the white stripes with seven nation army you've got j- just like a, a riff that kind of you know transcends uh time you know everybody knows dun, 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 dun. even devil inside kind of has one too mm-hmm it does. Uh, what, one of the cool things I always enjoyed about Niji Tonight was that they took that drum machine beat and then continued it into that mediate, which is sort of more of a stream of consciousness rhyming uh, poem, essentially. I used to, it, on the rare occasion I caught the video because I didn't have MTV, I had to watch Friday Night Videos. They usually only played the short version, but once in a while they'd play the version with the mediate portion tacked on the end. It was a homage to Bob Dylan's video for Subterranean Homesick Blues with the, the signs of the different words, which I appreciated too. It just looked, they looked like a gritty rock band and I really gravitated toward that. What'd you guys think of the mediate piece? I like that part of the album. I mean, it's a nice little little interlude or something. Uh, I kind of wish they did more of that in the album, like tried to integrate the tracks together a little bit to maybe make it less of a singles compilation and more of an album. Yeah, but their goal was to make an album full of hit songs (laughs) in this case. (laughs) They succeeded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. It doesn't play super well start to finish, but that track... I don't know. I don't care for his delivery of of the the poem lines. I guess it feels it's like a weird place between like rap and singing. It's not really one or the other. Oh well, he tried to innovate, and you're shit. At it. <laughs> <laughs> right, good for trying. He's gonna defecate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really missed an opportunity there, didn't I? <laughs> you can do it over if you. <sighs> no. I don't deserve to. <laughs> oh, jeez. Ain't half alert. <laughs> album Nerds Hall of Fame nomination incoming. I mean, I, I've I've loved this album for many years. I think it's innovative, unique, and uh, they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is ridiculous. So the least we can do is throw them into the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Guys, let me have it. I had a feeling you were going to nominate it. And I'll tell you, I've actually been kind of agonizing over it. <laughs> Oh. You know, this is a, this is a, actually, I haven't slept in days. <laughs> um, but really, it, it's a tough one for me because I, I mean, if we put it in the album Nerds Hall of Fame, it, it might be the album with the most actual hits on it. So, I mean, just the fact that it has like four huge hits, um, I mean, that's half, half an album. So that's a, you know, it's a pretty good ratio. I think Michael Hutchins is amazing. And so I, I feel he's Hall of Fame worthy. And I'm not sure what's holding me back. It's Duran Duran. It's your it loyalty. Could it could be. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe there is a, a little bias there. So we have the three albums that we're that we're doing today. If I had to grab two of them, you know, to to bring to the desert island or something, I think I might bring the other two. <laughs> I I could say the same about yeah. your pick. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, we'll get to um, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I think it's a great album, but it's not one that I you know feel all that compelled to revisit. But uh, be honest. Uh, I'll vote yes. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, come on, oh man! Oh man! I had to create Sorry. some drama. Todd, you know, you really built up my hopes there, man. <laughs> Finally, you're gonna say no to something. <laughs> 
Simon Laban is going to be so disappointed in you. <laughs> Simon. <laughs> All right. Well, allow me to follow through here and uh, wow. put this album in its place. I'm going to say no. Thank you, Because I don't think it's a great Jeez. album in the sense of as like being a complete whole. Uh, there are a lot of good songs, but we don't usually put greatest hits records on the Hall of Fame. And I do like I do like the band for sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm lost here because if it's a bunch of great songs, like I don't understand how it's not a great. Yeah, album. they don't really fit together. <laughs> they fit together because they were written by the same people <laughs> at the same time and playing the same instruments. And I don't know. You hate Australia and you hate In Excess. That's great. <laughs> I like both of those things. I just don't think this album is Hall of Fame material. But we leave it up to the to yeah. our listening audience here. Yeah, we'll uh, put up a poll on the Album Nerds Discord. You can do thumbs up, thumbs down, as well as the Album Nerds website, albumnerds.com. Thumbs up, thumbs down. NXS kick. Does it deserve a place in the annals of the Anoff? <laughs> Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. And here we are again. Asking ourselves a question. What bit of Australian culture resonates most with you? Now, we're talking about albums today. Uh, what do you guys think of when you think of Australia? What comes to mind? Discuss. I mean, the first thing I think of is uh, the insects, <laughs> like the huge spiders. <laughs> I've seen photographs of spiders right. like crawling in people's living rooms that are like the size of like hamsters. That really freaks me out, man. I don't know if I could ever get used to the comfortable living in a place like that <laughs> but i would love to visit it's definitely on my list of top places to travel to yeah it's uh i don't know i mean i, I think the the 80s probably you know ruined my uh, uh perception of australia or I'm, I'm sure my perception of Aust australia is completely screwed up you know because of crocodile dundee and right. um dunkaroos and i you know I, every <laughs> dunkaroos <laughs> the snack food yeah that might have been more 90s or something. Uh, Was that like a cookie that came yep. with dip or something? Yeah. Okay. Shaped like a kangaroo. Maybe the Dunkaroo Company is from Australia. Maybe. Doubt it. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, everything I think about Australia is just like silly stereotypes. Crocodiles yeah. and kangaroos and boomerangs and fosters. Is that still around? Uh, yes. Fosters? Yeah. Company. Yeah. I've yeah. heard that no one in Australia drinks that, or Probably it's not. not very popular. I, I've heard Australian uh, podcasters joke about having a Vegemite sandwich and a Foster's, but yeah, <laughs> I don't. I think that's more of a uh, making fun of us for right. thinking that yeah, than totally. than the truth. Thanks to Midnight Oil, I've learned a bit uh, about like the you know the indigenous people of of Australia, and I've you know seen documentaries on it and stuff. So that's uh, you know that's all very interesting. But I you know I kind of imagine Australia is a, a lot like the United States. Yeah, yeah, probably uh, except for the giant spiders. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we both are British colonies to start out. Um, we both had indigenous people displaced, and our cultures kind of uh, smashed a little bit by European culture. But what resonates the most for me about Australia is just that it's a continent. It's 
far away from things. It has its own ecosystem, its own flora and fauna. It's it's very unique makeup, even though we have some similar things. I also think about Mad Max. I think about ACDC and the, the films and the music. And those are the things that help me connect and better understand. What about everybody else out there? What about our, any Australian listeners? Please, what bit of Australian culture resonates with you? Let us know. Albumnerds.com slash Discord. <laughs> okay, so my pick from Down Under uh, is from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, their album from uh, September 2016, Skeleton Tree. Uh, this is the 16th studio album from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, uh, an Australian rock band formed in 1983 by vocalist and pianist, keyboardist Nick Cave, uh, multi-instrumentalist Mick Harvey. Both of them were uh, in a band called The the Birthday Party, and then German guitarist uh, and vocalist Elixa Bargeld. Uh, but the lineup for this album uh, actually uh, features Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, uh, who's a big multi-instrumentalist, composer, producer. Uh, he's been Cave's creative partner for about 15 years now. And then also Martin Casey on bass, Thomas Weidler on drums, and Jim Scalvinus uh, on percussion. Well, let's uh, let's hear a, a track. Uh, this is I Need You. I need you tonight. No. Mm-mm. Just as catchy. <laughs> The, the look on dude's face is like <laughs> still awake over there. Yeah, that is that is some that's some sad stuff, bro. <laughs> oh my gosh! And the the whole album is uh, the the three words I, I chose uh, to describe the album were dark, mysterious, warmth. It, it's it's sad, but somehow, and I, I think maybe it's through Nick Cave's voice and maybe some of the the strings. I, I do. It's not a cold darkness. It's there's a warmth to it. Somehow, I do find some some comfort in this album. How about you guys? Uh, yeah, I really like this record. I think it's um, among his best of this kind of like recent stretch that he's been on the last ten or fifteen years. Um, my three words are vast, dark, desert. Coming back to the dark theme, Don mentioned there. Yeah, it kind of feels like being out on the Australian and out back there. It's just like kind of like a a wasteland sort of and everything is very sparse and kind of haunting and maybe a little painful but i find it really enjoyable i think he's he works really well in this space like he's able to do a lot with very little just because of his the emotion in his voice and you know i know the topics in this album it's not super clear what he's getting at i guess at least wasn't to me but there's so much emotion in it like i can i'm still there with him and I don't exactly know what's going on, but I'm I'm with you, Nick. And I think this is a pretty cool record. It's so much different than what he was doing, like in the '90s. I guess what I first got introduced to him. It's like the opposite side of his personality, but I really I think it's pretty compelling. He's really grown a lot from what he was doing in like those more punk avant-garde groups. So uh, the three words I used to describe this, and I had to amend my words because I used the word dark originally. I used the word vast, and I had to get away from that <laughs> because you guys. <laughs> uh, empty, because it just feels like a lot of emptiness, hollowness. Uh, I mean, skeleton tree alone just feels like a dead tree with branches and no leaves, no life. Ambient at times, and fog. It just feels like uh, you're lost in the fog and can't find your way out. And that, I think that was my issue with the album is I didn't feel like I ever got deliverance. 
hmm, I felt like I'm left there, <laughs> left in that in that empty fog. But yeah, I mean, the dude is clearly talented. The the stuff he has been doing recently is it's beautiful in its own way, but it is very donish <laughs> in terms of you know it's hollowing a little bit. Okay, well let's uh, let's listen to to some more. Here's a, a song called "Girl in Amber." Girl in amber trap forever spinning down the hall. Man, that's a real banger. <laughs> Heard that in the club the other week. Woo! That's probably the most catchy song on the album, in my opinion. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> what stands out to me uh, about that track and, and a few of the others on the album is just the, the rhythm of his voice, the phrasing and stuff is not typical. It's, uh, it, it's really cool. One, uh, I guess, misconception about this album, Nick Cave's son, uh, Arthur, he, he fell off a, a cliff. A 15-year-old kid uh, fell off a, a cliff during the recording of this album. Uh, I think a lot of people assume the album is, is sort of addressing that. Uh, my understanding is that the songs were, were mostly complete, uh, at least the writing uh, was complete by the time that happened. Uh, actually, the ne- the album that, that follows this, Ghostine, um, deals more directly with the, the passing of his son. What I kept thinking about, and this is where what he did was special, is he took elements to me of two very dark artists, Tom Waits and Leonard Mm -hmm. Cohen, (laughs) and was able to make that, this new version of that, a unique version of that sort of emotiveness, the the way that he was able to use his voice, um, the kind of reverence in some of the songs. So, I mean, I'm impressed by it, just also depressed by it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of that Kate Bush album we did, the 50, however many words for snow. All right. 50 Shades of Snow. (laughs) And I I think this album's so much better. You know, Hmm. the the execution is better and it's it's more compelling. Well, I mean, if Nick could have pulled Sir Elton John for one of these, then maybe. (laughs) That's right. Got Stephen Fry to do a voiceover here somewhere. Yeah. Uh, He did pull uh, Danish soprano Elsie Torp uh, for the song Distant Sky, which is a a really lovely uh, Mm -hmm. um, duet. Yeah, no, I think that duet worked really well too. I almost wish there, there was a little bit more of that um, feminine side sprinkled throughout to kind of offset Nick's very you know masculine tone. But yeah, I think the way they use just empty space always I, I kind of floors me on this record, especially when you consider that these are the same musicians that have played with him for so many years and so many different sounds. I mean, if you heard like the Grinder Man records like in the early 2000s, like a totally different take on his music, um, but the same musicians are able to kind of traverse both sounds so expertly is really impressive to me uh, you don't hear that very often uh okay well let's listen to the the closing track skeleton tree skeleton tree rest against the sky it's probably one of the more accessible tracks uh, on the on the album <laughs> I don't know. It is, you know, it has a sadness to it, but I, I don't know. There's, there's something about that. Like, I feel like maybe there is a little resolution at the end or, or something. Like, I'm left with maybe a little bit of, uh, of hope. I love that. What, what I'm not sure I, what kind of organ that is, but that organ sound, just those like sustained chords. I, I'm such a sucker for that. Right? Reminds me of Pink Floyd, uh, Us and Them. I, I would just say that as far as Australian artists and music go, I don't know what his reputation is in Australia, but 
I would say he's definitely one of the poet laureate standout types of Australian artists. I mean, he's been around forever, consistently good songwriting, new approaches, creative, and this is part of that journey of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Okay, so that was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with Skeleton Tree. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. I am. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Join us on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord. Tell us what you're listening to, talk about what you heard on the show, and suggest topics for the Wheel of Musical Destiny. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oi, oi, oi! Welcome back to 120 Minutes. I'm talking to the Hoodoo Gurus, vocalist and guitarist Dave Faulkner, and lead guitarist Brad Shepard. All right, for my Aussie selection here, talking about the Hoodoo Gurus. And their March 1984 album, Stone Age Romeos. Let's play a little bit from the opening cut. That's all. Turn on. All right, so the debut record for the four-piece rock band from Sydney, Australia. Uh, comprised of two primary members, David Faulkner on guitar and vocals, and Brad Shepard also on guitar and vocals. The other members of the band were kind of more um, revolving as they were fairly popular in the, the early to mid-late 80s. The album is named after a Three Stooges sketch by the same name. Not a very good sketch. I watched it the other day. You guys ever watched <laughs> the Three Stooges? Yeah. yeah. Are any of them good? Oh. <laughs> I know. Really age well. I feel yeah. bad about that. I've, yeah. I mean, some people think it's the most hilarious stuff ever, and I've struggled. Yeah, there are moments, but I think it's just had to be of that of the time. Maybe if you were a young kid growing up. <laughs> anyway, um, so the album did win best debut in the 1984 Countdown Awards, which apparently is like a Australian sort of like. MTV award show, I guess. And uh, yeah, they were inducted into the ARIA, which is the Australian Recording Institute Awards. Wow. Something like that. <laughs> wow, we only had two weeks to do homework on this one. <laughs> Come on, Andy. You're better than that. <laughs> it's their Hall of Fame. It's their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, essentially, in <laughs> Australia. <laughs> wow. All right, so my three words to describe this album are meta nerd rock. Because a lot of this album is kind of referencing other types of rock, I would say. A big part of it is like 60s and 70s rock, especially. That track we heard there, they basically just list off a bunch of their influences right at the beginning of the record, just kind of setting the stage for this is who we are and what we're about. And uh, yeah, they fly through a bunch of different kind of rock adjacent genres and i think they do a good job of pulling them off and it's fun and lighthearted, and it's just a kind of an easy breezy record and i think you know this is a band i had never heard of prior to you know digging into some of these australian acts so it was important to me to find someone new and these guys they were pretty easy to uh, digest so what did you guys think the four words i used to describe aria are australian recording industry association <laughs> I I googled it. Thank you. <laughs> the three words I used to describe this album: upbeat, early alternative. This reminds me of a lot of like college rock radio uh, that was occurring in the U.S. around this time. It has a feel like REM and and maybe even like the Tragically Hip, where 
um, I feel Australia in this music, but it also is very relatable and sounds like the stuff of the time. Done very well. I loved it. I I played this album a lot of times. Yeah, the three words uh, I chose are uh, so many reminders. Uh, I'm just saying, I mean, it reminded me of so many other artists uh, at, at different times. You know, a lot of the more, you know, guitar-driven post-punk, Echo and the Bunnymen, the Mighty Mighty Lemon Drops, The Laws. Uh, and then, you know, some more punk-sounding things. I, I definitely, I hear a ton of the the New York Dolls. And at one point, I was convinced that that song, Arthur, was about Arthur Kane, the bass player of the New York Dolls, because it's like Arthur played bass, but it, but he didn't, he wasn't dead at that time, so the lyrics don't really make sense. But yeah, so, uh, you know, as, as you guys, you know, alluded to, it, it's sort of a, like a sampling of all things guitar, rock, you know, it, it's, it's garage rock, it's college rock, it's post-punk, um, it's a little bit of everything. Um, and yeah, I, I loved it. It's, uh, you know, got a, a lot of good energy. Um, it's hooky. The lyrics are interesting. You know, they seem to have a fascination with like Japanese history. Yeah, it, it's a good record. I, you know, I wonder if, you know, maybe if they had been more focused on one particular sound, if they would have had more success. Um, I mean, I know they, I mean, they were successful enough in, in Australia. And I think they were, you know, kind of just on the college radio scene here in the, the United States. Yeah. I wonder, you know, if, if maybe if they were a bit more focused on, on one thing, if they, you know, could have found a, a more distinct sound or, or something. They feel like real music fans or just like music nerds who are just kind of like, appreciative of this music and want to get more of it out there was the, the takeaway i got so like if we if we were talented if we had a band like, essentially yeah yeah. So, yeah yeah it seems kind of like what like drive-by truckers are doing with with southern rock and a little uh, bit yeah. yeah yeah kind of an homage to what inspired them uh, a couple of the bands they mentioned just throw out there uh the flaming groovies t-rex count five mostly like 60s and 70s rock and pop groups there's a couple tracks on here though that do shake things up in terms of that vibe i'm gonna play one of them next here this is a bit of dig it up kind of a weird song yeah i love that song yeah, I like that too. Uh, kind of, I think it's a little tongue in cheek. I mean, it's sort of about like a dead girlfriend and like trying to bring her back to life. I guess I don't know. I seem to have a good sense of humor with most of these songs. Uh, definitely veers more into that psychobilly genre. I think it's really the only track that veers into the lane, but I found it to be particularly enjoyable. They do venture off into more of a pop vibe at at times. One of the later singles on the record is a very pop-oriented track. Uh, this is called My Girl. The purpose of a man is to love a woman. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah, it definitely had, uh, I like that song. It had that sort of yeah. 60s jangly vibe. Yeah, it's almost like too blatant of a tribute to that 60s love song vibe, but. No such thing. I think it works. He's got an interesting voice too. He does, you know, it's very different from one one track to the next. One track to the next, yeah. Pretty versatile. Uh, yeah, that is um, David Faulkner on the lead vocals there. I think he is the only one. They did some recent iterations of the band, got back together and did some touring and whatnot. I believe he's the kind of the main driving force behind that. Yeah, so it's a 
it's a pretty interesting record. They put out a couple in this kind of mid 80s time period that were fairly well received in Australia. They did do some touring in the US later in the 80s. Never really broke through in the way that some of these other bands we talked about did. Um, but yeah, kind of a, a cool, I don't know if I'd say hidden gem, but definitely kind of more uh, isolated to Australia band that I think is got some merit and uh, some interesting things to say. So once again, the album is Stone Age Romeos by Hoodoo Gurus. Now it's time where we talk about what we've experienced, what we've learned. How did we grow? Does it show? You know? Let's go. (laughs) I mean, one thing I really did learn, and I'll kick it off with this, is what Aria means. (laughs) What about you guys? Um, Yeah, you know, I don't know. We look at things from such a US-centric lens here, you know, on the show, or in life, (laughs) in our lives. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to step outside of that a little bit and kind of explore some other cultures in more of a direct way. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities, and you definitely can hear bands that we're more familiar with in this music, and it's hard to separate yourself from those comparisons. And even after listening to you know a dozen or so records fairly closely, I'm still hearing a lot of those those bands I thought of originally. So yeah, it's an interesting sort of anthropological experience because you're you're visiting another culture but it's only like just slightly different from the culture you know it's just like when you visit canada you know there's right. just like you know uh reese's peanut butter cups or reese peanut butter cups um so just like little <laughs> subtle things like that so but yeah i mean i i mean I, I do think australia has you know an impressive history of uh, of of rock and pop music um we didn't do probably the biggest act at least in the rock world uh, acdc um, just because we did them on the on the previous episode yeah but yeah you know i mean i i think it's great that we you know that we found the the hoodoo gurus i was reading about well th- this term uh, pub rock kept coming up mm-hmm. which i guess is sort of a in an australian thing and so i guess it was just that i don't know, like a lot of these australian acts were, would just kind of grow up playing at, at all these pubs uh around the area and they sort of uh you know form their crafts uh that way but but it became like a, a genre that seemed sort of like a kind of a high energy bluesy based rock which i had trouble sort of distinguishing it from other things you know so <laughs> right. I, I never really got a good grasp of what pub rock actually is it sounds like garage rock but with oh. more drinking maybe maybe there you go <laughs> maybe. yeah i think maybe that's all it was was kind of like a, a garage rock thing with with a little more blues well hopefully someone uh, in australia can let us know uh but the words that come to mind from what you're just talking about were all i want all i need all i crave is a good pub feed that's from the song pub feed by a band called the chats that we did not mention and should have australian punk rock band oh yeah intense fun three-piece you've got to check those guys out but you know if we're talking about what we learned it's just made me think about how we view other countries through media, through art, through music, through film. And it's a great way to get to know them a little better, an accessible way, something that we understand and can all connect to. And that's One to Grow On. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, time to gather around and uh, do a spin of the musical Wheel of Destiny. 
Your musical destiny will be in your own hands for the rest of the year. I implore you all to celebrate the holiday and the dawn of a new year with music. Happy Christmas to all you album nerds out there. So it looks like uh, we're on our own here. Uh, traditionally at Christmas time, holiday time, we, we do a holiday album show. So why don't we do that, but with a twist? Oh, what did you have in mind? In the spirit of the holidays, you know, we take, we take, we, you know, we listen to each other's opinions on albums, but this time we're going to gift each other the holiday spirit through music, and we're going to pick a holiday album for one another. All right, so it looks like I will be picking a holiday album for Don. Don will be picking a holiday album for Andy, and Andy will be picking a holiday album for Dude. That's a me. That should be fun. And maybe we'll have some surprises along the way. Uh, bring some special guests to the show and uh, celebrate the holidays proper. What's your favorite holiday album? To what else are you listening? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds for details on upcoming episodes. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. As always, thanks for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with a holiday special. All right. Until then, see you later. Tell them Paul Hogan sent you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that in there somehow. <laughs>